Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 183 of the podcast for August 6, 2013. My guest today is Scott Sambucci. I met Scott at the 2012 Lean Startup Conference. And Scott's uh, the author of an excellent book uh, that uh, he gave me. I found the book very helpful. It's called Startup Selling, How to Sell If You Really, Really Have To and Don't Know How. Um, Scott's also the founder of Sales Qualia, a firm that helps people improve sales performance. And his latest project is called the Sales Model Canvas. Uh, an online tool to help improve sales. And you, you can find links to all of this if you go to leanblog.org slash 183 for the show notes. So today, Scott and I are talking about how to get better at sales. Uh, and that's something I've honestly struggled with being uh, an, an engineer uh, during my time with uh, Kinexus. Um, Scott talks about how sales is a process, um, what some of the biggest mistakes people can make with sales, and uh, what some common uh, so-called vanity metrics are and uh, why they're to be avoided, and also how to look out for vampires and gatekeepers as you sell. So hopefully you'll find it a fun discussion. Uh, if uh, you're trying to get better at sales, um, I think there's some great tips here. I think a lot of us understand process and when we can turn sales into um, a process. There's really very helpful things there. Um, so again, recommend Scott's book, um, Startup Selling, and uh, as always, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. Scott, hey, it's great to talk to you again, and thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Uh, can you maybe just start off by introducing yourself and, and your background uh, for the listeners? Sure. My name is Scott Sambucci. I'm the founder and CEO of Sales Qualia, and our company focuses on improving sales performance so that companies can sell more stuff. My background is, is about 15 years in enterprise and technology product and sales. So I, I cut my teeth, as I like to say, in the publishing industry back in the late 90s, just when it was the, the first wave of internet content uh, getting developed. And so working with publishers and working through that migration of books just in print to adding content online is what opened up my world into the software, into the software world. And since then, I've been selling software, data, and applications in the enterprise to, or to the enterprise. And we met in in person last December at the Lean Startup Conference in San Francisco. Um, I'm curious, how yeah. did you first get introduced to Lean or Lean Startup principles? So Lean for me started about a year and a half ago. I attended a startup weekend event in San Jose. And that was really the genesis of, of my company, Sales Qualia. I, was, I had some ideas that I wanted to vet out. So I decided to, to see if I could get that done in two and a half days. And so I, I started working with a fellow there who actually knew a lot more about it than I did. He, he was really familiar with Lean and, and the business model canvas and a lot of Steve Blank's work. And so we used that, that model as a way to push through some of the research and development that we needed to get done in such a short period of time. And so from there, it was uh, something that became really a part of what I pay attention to. Because it's, it's interesting, it's, it's sort of like if, if, you're, if you're walking around and talking to somebody around about cars and they go, yeah, you know, I've noticed recently there's a lot of blue cars on the road. 
And then all of a sudden you look around, you, you, you realize like, wow, there really are a lot of blue cars. And it's not maybe necessarily that there's a lot of blue cars. It's just that you're noticing it. And so as soon as I was introduced to, to lean and some of the principles, I realized how many companies were paying attention to it and using it or trying to use it and how many books were out there and how many events there were. So ever since then, I guess just because I'm, I'm focusing on it in a lot of ways with mm -hmm. companies that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah, and, and, and for listeners who maybe uh, aren't real familiar with some of the Lean Startup concepts, I'll, I'll put links uh, on, on the show's blog page to uh, you know what Startup Weekend is about, um, Lean Canvas. Lean Canvas is kind of a neat document. I think we'll come back to this later, Scott. For people that are familiar with you know, an A3, you know, kind of, you know, a single-page format for, for planning and testing and evaluating changes, um, Lean Canvas, I mean, that's something I've used. We've used at Kinexus as a way of, you know, thinking through and structuring um, your, your thoughts around a, a startup idea. Um, so I think it's a really neat principle. And um, I, I'm curious, you know, what, what resonated with you, you know, Scott, about lean or lean startup principles? It sounds like the idea of going and validating and testing a business idea was, was one of those key principles. If you maybe expand on that or, or other thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in the context that I'm working with companies, it's in the sales process. And so particularly when you're selling a business in a business to business environment, if you've got an enterprise sales platform or enterprise platform or software or product of some sort, the sales cycle can be pretty long. I mean, it's pretty typical for a sales cycle to be six months or 12 months or even even longer. I've done some government sales work at the U.S. Census right now is already procuring vendors for their 2020 census. So it's a pretty extreme case, but um, the, the lesson is of course that the, the sales cycles are very long and as a, as a startup, you don't have the luxury of waiting around six months or 12 months in order to assess whether or not your product is a fit in that market. And even if you do have the right product in the right market, if you're not selling it the right way, then all could be lost as well because you're not identifying the right decision makers or you're not identifying the right budget cycles. And so, so for me in the, in the lean, in the lean context, a lot of what I do is work with, with companies to identify places where they can run sales experiments in, as part of the process to identify whether or not they really are making progress with the sale so that they can look within two weeks or four weeks or, or eight weeks to see whether or not they're on the right track for that sales process. So they don't have to wait around six months or 12 months to see whether or not they won or lost a single opportunity. And so the, the, the idea of building experiments or and very rapidly iterating the sales process in different uh, aspects is, is something that for me and for the clients I work with is, is the part of the lean that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and, and I think that idea of looking at sales as a process and being able to do, uh, being able to conduct experiments around you know, in, improving that process is something that um, I think would resonate to, to lean thinkers and in, in different industries and different fields. And you know, some of the people listening, you know, might have you know a, a, a business idea or or a product idea. Hopefully, you know, we make sure that that product is actually um, a business. And, and I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs find out the hard way that it, it's not enough to just have some sort of great technology that doesn't necessarily lead to sales or lead to a business. <laughs> Is that something you run across a lot in working with entrepreneurs? Yeah. In fact, I mean, the, 
it's it's in fact the the reason that the entrepreneur exists. Particularly, if you if you think about an entrepreneur, what they what they view is an opportunity in the market to fix a problem that isn't being fixed by anyone, or to fix a problem in a better way than an existing company. And so, by that principle, by that hypothesis, then that tells you that an, in, that an inferior product is being sold. So it's not the product itself is why somebody is buying it. It's that maybe the sales process employed by that inferior product or company is what can make that product successful. So it's if you think about it from that context, then the sales process becomes as valuable or even more valuable than the product itself because we've all been in situations where we purchased a product and at the end of the day, like, wow, that product really didn't do what I thought it was going to do when I bought it. So was that because I was duped by my own expectations or was it just that the sales process that that company deployed was effective enough and may not be malicious. It's just that they've, they've learned to, they've learned to, um, to support that product that may be marginal with a really good sales process. And that's how they're driving their revenue. And so that's, that's a hard lesson. I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of, you know, there's, there's the classic, excuse of, well, we were ahead of our time or the market wasn't ready for us or, you know, we just couldn't get the decision maker to, to pull the trigger. And those are those are easy excuses to fall back on and those that help, I guess, entrepreneurs justify their failure. But the fact of the matter is, is that is that if you're not paying attention to the sales process as specifically as you're paying attention to product development or engineering, then you run the risk, a high risk of failing. And, and, and that's where, I mean, I, I've really found um, Steve Blank's writing and, and approach really helpful where they talk about not just product development, but customer development of trying to yeah. uh, discover and, and test and find a repeatable sales process um, that, that, that works before trying to scale. You know, I, I worked for a startup going back, you know, the 2000, 2001 timeframe where, you know, the startup had one customer, had a sales VP, a marketing VP, you know, staffs in both departments and just kept firing VPs. And I'm like yeah. looking back at it, I'm like, well, you know, gosh, you know, the lean startup principles as we know them today didn't exist. And I think that was a, a kind of a classic case of a company that had in that era gotten VC funding and said, well, you know, it seemed like they, they kept blaming individuals instead of looking at, at some of those more fundamental questions of, uh, you know, product market fit. And uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a different world. Um, you know, startups are operating in, I guess, you know, the VC money. Maybe this is an excuse. Doesn't flow as freely as it might have in, in other areas. But, um, you know, I think lean startup principles or startup sales um, methods give us something to work with without huge budgets and in huge teams, I think. Yeah, and that's that's one of the in terms of specific ideas that that's one of the experiments that I I help the CEO founders or early stage companies to develop around that around that sales process because it, sometimes the founder is is frequently a technical person that's even still doing some coding on the product or they're focused on trying to raise the next, you know, they maybe have $500,000 in angel capital and now they're trying to get a two or three or $5 million round. And they're so focused on other aspects of the business. Their initial thought is, well, I've never done sales. So if I just hire a really good salesperson, mm -hmm. then we'll get them to sell the product, even though they've net themselves actually sold the product. 
And so the first the first lesson that I'm, I try to get people to understand is that you, the the CEO founder, you don't you don't always have to be the best salesperson, but to hire a salesperson, you need to offer some framework to that person to say, well, these are our two or three customers, and this is how we went about getting those two or three customers. Or if you have zero customers, and it's a, particularly in an enterprise environment, you're not trying, don't try to get 100 customers. Don't try to get 10 customers. Try to get one customer as a CEO founder. Get one customer, close that one sale, and learn from it. And then once you get one, get to 10. And Ash Mayoris talks about this a lot, you know, the 10x growth and that and that exponential. And once you get from zero to one and one to 10, now you've mm -hmm. got, that's when you've done that learning and you can bring in a, a salesperson and say, this is what has been working. Now as a sales professional, we, we're expecting your expertise to augment that and to develop that and to, to identify places where we can improve it. Um, and then at that point, it's not, it, that's the other experiment too, which is, and when you're ready to hire a salesperson, don't hire one, hire three. Hmm. And if you're not ready to hire three, then you're probably not ready to hire one. Because if you're ready to hire an outside salesperson to come in and just sell your product and focus on selling your product, then that should mean or indicate that you've built that framework and that you can scale it. Because if you only hire one person and that person is the wrong hire, mm -hmm. you're you're left with a very with a couple of variables that you're trying to figure out. What was the reason that that person failed? Was it the product? Was it them? Was it our service? Was it the market? If you hire three salespeople, then while it's not perfect, it does give you some some ways to benchmark and see. Well, okay, we got one salesperson that's doing really well, and these other two are doing really poorly. So what are that? What's that one salesperson doing? Are they are they tweaking what we thought was the right framework, or are they following the framework and the other two aren't? So if you're not ready to hire three, then you're probably not ready to hire one, and that's that's a that's an interesting lesson. A lot of times that I when entrepreneurs when I explain this to them, they're like, oh my gosh, you're right. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, and I I, I haven't thought of it that way either. I think that's. Um new to me unless unless my memory is failing me um if, I don't know if that's something you talked about in your book startup selling and and i wanted to talk more about that because you, you gave me a copy of the book at um, the conference i read it on the way back mm -hmm. um really liked the book got a lot out of it um a lot of it stuck with me uh, i think in, you know, including the idea of you know company founders picking up the dang phone and, and, and reaching <laughs> out and getting out of the office i mean i think picking up the phone is a you know a great first step. Um, you know, I think, you know, your book is, is targeted towards startup founders who've really never sold anything before. Um, what, what are some of the, the key tips or, or, or key points that, that you like to make for, um, you know, for, for quote unquote new salespeople or entrepreneurs who don't think of themselves as salespeople? The, the first one is what you just mentioned, which is pick up the phone. And it's, it's a really it sounds really basic, but it can be a hard, again, a hard lesson for entrepreneurs to learn because if you're, again, you're running the company and you've got 17 things that you're managing at one time, you've got a lead from a conference or you've got, you talk to five or six people at, at an event and the easiest thing to do is just fire off an email mm -hmm. and be done with it because you can send the email at seven in the morning and then go back and work on the rest of the company and feel like, well, I've done my sales for the day. I'm following up with those five people I met at the event last night. Well, the, the email is just so passive for so many reasons. And if instead you were to block out an hour from 11 to 12 that day, and I'm going to call 
those five people and say, look, I really enjoyed talking last night. We had this or that, you know, a conversation around what next steps might be. How, what's the, when's the best time for us to schedule that? And it becomes such a more effective way of communi communicating with people. And then even if you get the voicemail, it's when you leave the voicemail, giving yourself permission to call back a second time in that voicemail message, which is, you know, hey, John, um, we met last night. Sorry I missed you. Uh, I know you're probably really busy. So uh, give me a call back. If, if you can't get back to me by Friday, I'll give you another call and see if I can catch you that. And it's just a way to more effectively keep that process and keep that flow going. I had this come up yesterday, actually, with with a client that I'm, I'm working with, and he was he was trying to he's selling his service to LinkedIn, and he called into the HR. He's been working with a very senior HR person there, and uh, he said, "Yeah, you know, yesterday I, I I've been needing to get in touch with the guy, so I called him, and he answered." I'm like that's what happens when you call people; you actually <laughs> can talk to them. So what, what would have happened if you emailed him, right? I mean, what if you get out of the office message? It just falls down on their on their list. So just the idea. So email is only I tell people it's only used as communication between conversations. Mm -hmm. Email should only be used for setting appointments or mm -hmm. sending notes as a result of the conversation just had or to precede with an agenda of things you will be talking about. It's nothing more than that. So don't use email to sell. And that's the pick up the phone lesson. That's that's the first the first big one. And I guess the second one. That I would I would tell people is that sales is a process. You know, it's uh, I'm not I'm not a technical person. I've never done any real coding. Um, what I do know when I talk to really good engineers is that they don't sit down for 10 minutes and work on some code and then go uh, work on something else and then come back for 30 minutes and work on some code. I mean, when I talk with engineers, it's about sitting and planning and understanding the process and doing a lot of work before you even start coding, before you write that first that first line. And sales is a lot of the same way. You have to think about the process. What work through your whole process with a client, work through your whole conversation over that six month period and how you're gonna get from where you are today to where you need to go in order to close that sale. And if you're not if you're just working about it haphazardly, then you're gonna get haphazard results. Mm. And uh, one other thing um jumps out of me from the book uh you talk about vampires and and gatekeepers and i guess ga gatekeepers <laughs> make sense of like somebody who you know in, in admin or somebody you're trying to you know get past um you know to to a senior executive you might be trying to sell to but what, what talk about vampires um what, what they are in the sales process and some things that you can try to do to counter them um yeah, so so vampires are are just that. I mean, they just suck the life out of you. They suck they suck your blood, and it, it's a lot of times they're not. It's not intentional. It's not malicious. There are there are people in organizations that are truly in, you know found your product interesting. They find you interesting. They think the problem you're solving is interesting, and they might have those problems, but they may not be the right person to motivate that change within that target organization, or they may not be on the front end of that technology adoption curve that that Clayton Christensen and Jeffrey Moore talk about all the time. And so if you are, you know, that's part of going back to understanding your process and how you are able to assess, are you making progress in a six month sales cycle? And if you're still feeling like after three or four conversations with the same person that you're not getting past the initial 
questions and getting your questions answered on basic needs or you're not finding that person is is not bringing in other people in the organization if you're selling to linkedin and you're only talking to one person and it's and your product is fifty thousand dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year well you're you're not going to be selling that product there's not a single person in an organization that makes a fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollar decision on their own they're going to at least bring in one other person and in most cases they're going to bring in three or four or five other people and so if you're if you're in that situation where you you're just not getting you're not pushing forward through that sales process and like i said whether it's whether it's intentional or not by that that vampire then you need to have a, a straight conversation with that person or just move that person away from active sales opportunity into a nurturing or continuation type of of conversation and and focus your efforts on people that are going to motivate that change in your target companies. And, and I think it's an interesting point. You say, well, you know, they, it might not be intentional. I mean, you know, if a vampire, let's say, doesn't have purchase authority, uh, mm -hmm. I guess one thing a vampire might do is just ask for demo after demo after meeting mm -hmm. after, and, and without yeah, being able to pull the trigger. And, and even, even more so, it's not even that they're being malicious. Sometimes they think they're actually really, really helping you. Right. Um, sure. You know, they're sitting on the, and they're like, oh, you know, can I see that demo one more time? Because I had a couple of ideas on how you might tweak the product. Huh. Mm -hmm. And that's it's great because that person's, you know, obviously engaged with what you're doing and they want to help. You're there, though, especially in the lean context, right? You're not there to get new product development ideas or new feature requests. I mean, you're there to sell what you have. You have an MVP um, or, or sometimes better. And you're like, this is the product, right? I need you to buy this product as it stands today. And they're in fact thinking like, well, if you could do this, that would be really cool. And then you, you even ask them, well, is that something, if we added that feature, would you then buy it? Well, <laughs> you know, actually it's not even really relevant for us, but I was just thinking about in the global context, because I know other people in our industry, that's a big problem for them. We don't have that problem, but it is for other people. And you're sitting there going like, oh, this guy is just, I know he's trying to help me, but all he's doing is, is making my job really, really hard. And so, it's definitely something just to look out for. Uh, those are some good signals that you're dealing with a vampire. And I, I use the word vampire just because it sticks in people's <laughs> minds. But it's definitely not, frequently not malicious. And even in sometimes, right. it's in sometimes the cases that they're actually trying to help you and they're, they're not. Yeah. And one, one other thing um, kind of resonated with me early, uh, recently. You sent out a newsletter that talked about a topic, um, you know, that Eric Reese and people in the lean startup community talk about the idea of uh, vanity metrics and, and why those yeah. can be, um, why those can derail you or be a distraction. You, you talked about vanity metrics for sales. Can you, can you um, yeah. expand on that a little bit for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, in, in a traditional sense, when you think, when you think about the sales, you know, the very traditional sense, you know, people say things like, well, sales is just a numbers game, or if you just talk to enough people, or uh, you need to dial for dollars and you need to get proposals in front of people. And if you think about those metrics in a um, in a sales process, those are actually the opposite metrics of what you should be measuring. So this idea of dialing for dollars, well, if I if I say, well, look, I called 50 people today, like, that's a good day. Well, what was the result of those 50 people? Did you get 50 voicemails? Did you get 50 people to tell you no? You got, or did you get 10 people to the next stage where you had a, a legitimate needs analysis type of conversation. And so you shouldn't be measuring the number of calls, you should be measuring the percent advance rate, for example. 
So if you're calling 50 people and getting 10 people to uh, the next stage of your sales process, well, that's a 20% conversion rate for you at that, pro- at that point of the sale. And so then is it really about calling 50 people and getting those 10, or is it, is it about increasing that conversion rate from 20 to 30% so that you don't have to call, make 50 calls, maybe you can make 30 calls and get the same result. So, so that's, that's a good example of a vanity metric, which is how many calls were being made. Because it's something that's easy to, to count, especially as a manager when you do start hiring salespeople. If, if you have a long sales cycle that's six months or 12 months and you're trying to assess whether or not your salespeople are effective, you look around and go, well, you know, Sally just made 50 calls today, so I guess she's doing her job. <laughs> so that's, that's like your first, that's a first vanity metric. Later on in the process, a lot of times people uh, and entrepreneurs fall, and even experienced salespeople, I see this all the time, they fall into the trap of, well, I just got to get them to the demo. If I can get them to the demo, then they're going to see how great the product is. And then once they see how great the product is, then they're going to buy. Well, the fact is, is nobody actually cares about your product at all. What they care about is their problem and your ability to solve their problem. And a lot of times when, when you do the demo, people want to do the big Harvard tour where I've got 15 features and okay, if we click over here, we do this and click over here, it does that. And then you can do this report and then you can export this out and then you can share this with Facebook and you go through this, this list of 15 things, but in the, in the demo, you actually haven't addressed the needs of the client. So they don't, they don't care about your product. So if instead of thinking about the number of demos, it's thinking about what two or three needs have I assessed from the client that they said is a major migraine that I have to, that they have to fix and then figuring out how does your product solve those problems. So a lot of times I, I tell entrepreneurs it just as a game, see how far you can take the sale without actually showing the product. <laughs> And they're like, yeah. what do you mean? Because I've spent the last, you know, 18 months building the this product. product. I want a right? demo. I baby. want a demo. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's not about your product. Because if, if somebody has a $10 million problem at their company and you can show them that the solution to solving a $10 million problem is to burn tires in their parking lot, they'll say, great, I'll buy a bunch of tires and burn them if it solves a $10 million <laughs> problem. Like, it's not about the product. It's about their problem. And so if you do that needs analysis the right way, when you do go to do the demo, the demo should actually be really short because the only things that you should show in that product demo are exactly what solves those major problems that the client has. Everything else can wait. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what else the product does. So that's another vanity metric is that the idea of, of bulldozing to the demo, thinking that that's going to close. And then the worst case is what happens is that you even get five or six people from your target company sitting on the demo and they're in a conference room remote and you can hear them all kind of like whispering to each other and then the demo's over and you say, okay, well, what are the next steps? And then your, your product champion or the person that organized the meeting is like, yeah, well, you know, send us the login and we'll play around with it and then we'll let you know. <laughs> right. And now you're dead. You've lost control of the sale. So that, those, that demo stage is, is a great opportunity for the sale to, dis, to just dissipate, to fall into purgatory. Um, so that's the second one. And then the third one, just uh, real quick, is the, mm-hmm. is the idea of proposals. It's the same thing. So you've done the demo, and they go, okay, this looks pretty good. And then maybe they get back to you in a week. And they go, yeah, you know, we thought this, this might be a good solution. Can you send us a proposal? Right. And then you spend a day, two days writing a proposal, and you send it. 
and then nothing happens. And so this idea of sending proposals feels good. It's a good advantage. Like we've got 10 proposals out, but you haven't, those proposals are just an opportunity for the sale to die on the vine. So these are, these are traditional metrics in sales that people say, like these are, these are ways to assess whether or not a salesperson is, is acting successfully. But in fact, they're all opportunities for the sale to fall into purgatory. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think those, those are great trips, uh, great tips. Um, you know, at Kinexus, one thing we've gotten better at is not jumping right into demo. Um, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll try to um, kind of even continue pushing on, on that front. And, um, you know, I think that that's where, you know, some of those things resonated with me from our own experience of, uh, you know, trying to get better at sales as uh, myself, an engineer, our CEO is a doctor. Um, I think we're right in that audience of, of people who are entrepreneurs who are trying to get better at at sales. So uh, appreciate the the tips and the ideas in in your book. Um, as, as we start to wrap up here, um, we, we talked earlier. You, you mentioned the idea of the lean canvas. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about what you're working on, the idea of a sales canvas, what that is, and and some of your upcoming. Um, projects and, and things are going to be coming out yeah so one of the the ideas that I articulated earlier was was thinking about your sales process and what happens what has to happen from the time of first contact and all of the steps that need to occur in order for that sale to take place in six months or nine months or 12 months and it's it's kind of akin to a traditional business plan if you think about it from a sales process standpoint that you you've got this series of linear steps that you think you need to take. Well, it turns out that those those steps are not they're frequently not linear, meaning that you might you might find a, a good product champion early in the sales process at a conference and you maybe you do talk with them about needs of the company and you you do an effective demo and they go, okay, how much would this be if we if you were to sell it to us? And you maybe don't do a formal proposal, but you throw out some you know some benchmark numbers. Okay, it'd be about fifty thousand a year and the I was like, okay, yeah, okay, I think that's something we could do. So here's what we should do next. We should get you in front of our VP of sales and director of marketing and start the sales process there. So you're like, wait a minute here. I, like, I, I thought we were doing the sales process. In fact, we got all the way to the point of pricing, but now you're asking me to go back to other people in your company and start <laughs> over. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of the canvas is that, is that the sales process is not linear. And in fact, if you can, if you can map it out and look for opportunities in the process where you know that you're really strong. Maybe you've talked to a series of different types of, of individuals in that target company. Maybe you've talked about pricing early on, so you've qualified those people. But you've got these risks that exist where maybe the the product that or the solution that you're that you're offering is displacing a homegrown solution. Well, when it comes to, to pulling that out, I mean, there's going to be some IT or engineering person that's going to be a real antagonist there because maybe they're the ones that built it and they don't want to, they've got a five person team that's supporting it. And now what you think is an efficiency play for you and for the company, all of a sudden that engineer is like, wait a minute, this guy's going to replace me and my staff because this product's better than the <laughs> thing that I built eight years ago. Right. That's a huge risk. So you need to be able to map that out and understand in a single place, in a single view, what those opportunities and risks are. And so, so what I've been doing is, is continuing the transformation from, from the business model canvas to the lean canvas and now developing both a sales model canvas for managers where they can look at principally what are the major steps that need to happen 
for us to sell our product. And then also a sales opportunity canvas for individual salespeople. So on an opportunity by opportunity basis, you can look at this sales op for this company. What are my key risks? What are my key opportunities and key resources and those sorts of things? So um, be launching that in about three or four weeks uh, towards the end of July, early August, and that'll be available for, for purchase online. What, what, will that be uh, a book or a set of online tools for people? Oh, it's, it's going to be a, a series of, it's an online tool, so it'll be a download the, from, from the website, from salesqualia.com, and it's, it will include a, a canvas itself that you can use and just print and reuse and reuse. It'll include a booklet um, that explains each of the, the different panels on the canvas, and then there's going to be a, a video supplement for each of those canvases where it's, it's me leading a conversation of about three to five minutes per section on the canvas, explaining what's in that section, what's, what are some ideas and thoughts you should be putting into that canvas, and walking you through how to, how to do that. So it's, you can think of it almost like a mini a mini course, if you will. Mm. Um, so you've got the you've got the print the print piece or the the Kindle version of explaining each section, then me walking you through it, and then the canvas itself. Okay, cool. And and I see this here on the website actually salesqualia dot com, and right. I'll, I'll have a link uh, on on the show notes on on the blog page of this episode. Um, I definitely encourage people to go check out um, Scott's book. Startup selling, which you can actually you can get through Amazon and paperback. Looks like you can actually read it as a a free ebook on the website. I just noticed. Yeah, so I, I put the PDF up there because it's you know it's important. It's the message in the book is important enough to me that I think entrepreneurs need to 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 get this message. So the PDF is just a, a it's a free way for people to read it. I know that a lot of folks prefer that that hard copy book or other people do a lot of reading on their Kindle. So the book itself is very affordable. I think it's like 10 bucks on, on, on Amazon and five for the Kindle version or something. So, um, it's not, it's not my, you know, retire and buy a house, buy a, an Island in Fiji project. Um, but it's more about just introducing some concepts and getting some entrepreneurs to think about parts of their sales process, particularly in the enterprise world that they're probably not thinking about right now. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's well worth uh, it's well, well worth it. Looking at the Amazon page, it's uh, you're right. It's 4.99 and if you are an Amazon Prime member like I am and a lot of people are, it's actually free. Um, if you, people want to get it through that uh, Amazon Prime Kindle borrowing program. So, I hope people will go check that out. Uh, it was really helpful uh, for me. I shared uh, your, your book with uh, with our CEO from Kinexus, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff. So I'm glad we could talk today. Um, my guest has been Scott Sambucci. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks a bunch, Mark. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.